If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles or Bible apps, however you prefer, to the book of Revelation as we continue our study there. We're just kind of going through this last book pretty slowly, and today we're looking at the sixth of seven letters to the churches. Uh, What we always need to keep in mind is that as believers, uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, we are the church, and these letters to the churches, they represent you and me. And so, where do we see ourselves? Uh, We've looked at the Ephesian church, the loveless church. Uh, we, we see that they were going through the motions, they, they uh, had no heart behind the work they were attempting to do for the kingdom of God. Smyrna was the persecuted church, one of only two that had no accusation brought against it. Uh, they were unwilling to bow their hearts to anything but Jesus is Lord, and therefore they were persecuted. And, and remember the command and the, and the promises made to them, don't listen to the lies, don't be afraid, Be faithful, and a reward will come. Pergamos was described as the compromising church. The compromise that they they bought into was that it was perfectly okay if Jesus and something else were Lord of their lives. Uh, Jesus and something else had first place in their heart. Now, as we've seen, uh, we would never tell our spouse, hey, you are the love of my life, and so is somebody else. It doesn't work maritally, it does not work spiritually either. But that's where their hearts were compromising. When they they wanted to give anything else the place that Jesus belongs. Last week we saw Thyatira, the corrupt church. Even though they appeared to have it all together on the outside, they served, they had faith, they were even patient. But the one thing that they were missing was holiness. It was a lack of holiness that made them corrupt. Now, for this church here, it was a tolerance of sexual immorality. We define that as anything sexual outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage. And uh, it's, been, it's something that's been tolerated within the church for a long time. And I truly believe if this country is ever going to have another awakening, the people of God, we've got to get ourselves cleaned up. Repent of the lack of holiness wherever it might be. Repent of the the compromise in our hearts. And in order to do that, some of us are going to have to make some pretty major changes. Uh, The truth is, it may not be sexual immorality for us. But are we compromising in other areas? When we hear that word compromise, uh, what in your own life, if anything, comes to mind? Um, It it, it makes holiness take a back seat. Uh, So would any of us fit into the corrupt church category? We also looked at Sardis last week. They're known as the dead church. Uh, A dead church has no life. Uh, And and we saw some things that bring the death of a church. Uh, They live in the glory days of the past instead of moving forward. As we do move forward, it doesn't change the message of the gospel. It just changes how it's delivered. Uh, In a dead church, the great commission becomes the great omission. The budget moves inward in order to keep its members comfortable and satisfied instead of reaching the lost the instructions to the dead church uh, the instructions to any individual that feels weak and feeble or already dead and gone be watchful watch out for these things that kill a church strengthen the things which remain do some uh, some spiritual physical therapy hold fast repent and begin to move forward with the gospel 
Get back to living on mission. Today we start in Revelation chapter 3 with a letter to the church at Philadelphia, known as the Faithful Church. So let's start in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, so as has been a pattern in all of these letters, let's first notice Uh, how Jesus is described. The first one is holy. Jesus is holy. Verse 7, these things says he who is holy. Now we are familiar with that word holy. It means to be set apart, consecrated, absolutely morally pure. And while it was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament rather than Greek like the New, the same word is used in Isaiah 6. You may be familiar with this passage. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, notice who is holy here. It's the Lord of hosts. Uh, The exact words are Jehovah Sabaoth. It means the God of angel armies. It's a name used many times for God in the Old Testament. Uh, It's the name of the God that we still worship here today. And so in calling Jesus holy in Revelation chapter 3, he is identifying him as God. Jesus is holy in his character. Jesus is holy in his words. Jesus is holy in his actions. Jesus is holy in his purposes. He is God. He is uniquely set apart from everything else. Nothing compares to him. There's a lot of weight in the statement that Jesus is holy. Notice what it says next. These things says he who is holy, he who is true. He who is true. So uh, I, like maybe many of you or or people that you know, I, I grew up watching Michael Jordan. I loved watching Michael Jordan and the Bulls back in the 90s. And uh, I collected basketball cards. I, uh, I, have, I still have several of them, you know. And uh, I, I, was, I was eaten up with these basketball cards. I would save my lunch money 
to go and buy basketball cards. I mean, it was, it was that bad. But one card that I never had, I never got a hold of, is this one I have a picture of. This is the 1987 Fleer uh, Michael Jordan rookie card. Now, this one currently, when I was looking at it earlier this week, uh, this one currently has a, a, a bid on eBay for $21,000. $21,000. Now, if any of you still have that in your collection and would like to donate that to my collection, we can talk later, okay? Um, but I want to show you another picture of another card. It looks very similar. Uh, when I looked at this one, uh, this one currently has a bid for $31. $31, yeah. So the one on the right, 21000 The one on the, on the left is $31. So what makes the difference? Well, one is true and one is not. See, when something is true, the true card, the true rookie card, and not just a fake, uh, then it is worth more. So, so think about that. When, when something is true, it's the real thing, it's not fake, it is extremely more valuable. And saying that Jesus is true, he is the real thing. He's, he is genuine. He's, he's not a copy. He is the authentic God, not a manufactured one. So in this culture that it was written to, this biblical culture, and to ours, uh, there are plenty of manufactured gods, but there is only one true God, and that is Jesus. Only He has the right to claim the title as true. Uh, To add another layer to this, Revelation 6.10, the martyred saints cry with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on the earth who dwell on the earth. So this holy and true Jesus will judge sin and vindicate his people. And so we see this picture of him being holy and true. It means he's powerful. Jesus is powerful. Verse 7 again in chapter 3. These things says he who is holy, he who is true. He who holds the key of David who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. The next blank's on your outline. Jesus holds the key of David. Now, this imagery is also taken from the Old Testament, Isaiah, this time in chapter 22. So in context of Isaiah 22, the Jewish leaders were trusting in Egypt to deliver them, not God. And an evil man named Shebna had risen to prominence and used his office for personal gain, So God replaced him with a man named Eliakim. We see that Eliakim is an Old Testament picture of Christ. And through Isaiah, God said this to Shebna. Remember, he's the evil one. It shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. So what is the significance of Jesus holding the key of David? Well, to answer that question, we need to know what the key of David is. It's the next blank on your outline. It's the kingdom of God. Jesus holds the key to the kingdom of God. See, God promised David to always have an heir on his throne in 2 Samuel 7. 
It was initially for Solomon, but extended way beyond him to the Messiah. So Jesus, having the key of David, speaks of his authority, his Messiahship. He is the only one that truly holds the key to the kingdom of God. No one else possesses that key. In John 10, 9 and 10, Jesus said this, I am, notice it's present tense, he still is today. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. See, Jesus has authority. Jesus has the key to the kingdom of God. And so that is on the, the grandest level. That's, for, that's the view from 30,000 feet. But when we focus in and we try to apply this to our lives today, I don't think it's a stretch for us to say that Jesus opens and closes doors in our lives. I like this next statement. God answers prayers, and aren't we thankful for that? But more importantly, God has plans. It's not either or, it's both and. He is not depending on our prayers to figure out what he should do. He has his own plans. An open door is known as an opportunity. And we should recognize Jesus as the one who gives us opportunities for ministry, for furthering the kingdom, even beyond that, for business, for relationships, for a lot of things. But he also closes doors. And so if you find yourself behind a closed door here today, you can trust Jesus, who is still present tense, still today. He's with you and guiding you, and he knows what's best. He does answer prayers, but he also has plans, and his plans are way better than ours. So don't try to open a door that Jesus has closed. And if you're not sure if Jesus has closed it or not, then you've got to stay in close intimacy to recognize his voice over the, all the voices that are coming at you daily. Intimacy is the key. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Now notice it's not the Lord might be near to all who call upon him. The, the Lord might be near to some who call upon him. No, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. If Jesus has shut a door, he has good reason. So th- this is who Jesus is here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 and following. He's holy. He's true. It means he's powerful. He has authority. He is the only way into the kingdom of God. He opens and shuts doors in our lives. Now we get to the church at Philadelphia. We see that they had an opportunity. Look at verse 8. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Notice that, that phrase, you have a little strength. It's, uh, it's almost insulting, isn't it? <laughs> if you think about it. Uh, yeah, you have a little strength, but really, you're pretty weak. It's, it's kind of, if you read into it too much. We're not sure specifically why this church was weak. Uh, certainly persecution may have taken its toll. Uh, there may have been not very many in this church body. Uh, maybe they didn't ha- have very many resources. Maybe they just were physically puny. We, we really don't know. But this just goes to show us that, that God doesn't value the same thing the world values. And he can take the raggest, 
taggist group of people and change the world through the gospel through them. For Philadelphia, their faithfulness to trust Jesus overcame their weakness. It's the next blank on your outline. Faith overcomes weakness. This is the power of gospel in, of the gospel in our lives. They had a little strength, but they kept the word and they weren't ashamed of the name of Jesus. I'm so thankful for Jesus' words in 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That word perfect means complete. It's complete when we're weak. Verse 9 in Revelation 3. Indeed, I will make those who are a synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from, from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Uh, something that I've noticed a lot recently in my studies and, and outside my studies, that phrase, the importance to hold fast. It means to keep carefully, to keep faithfully. Don't let go. Hold fast what you have. That, that's faith. Don't walk away from it. Don't get discouraged. Don't be duped by the lies. Hold fast your faith because in the end, it will be worth it. Notice the three promises Jesus made to this church in Revelation 3, 9 through 11. First, he, he promised to expose the truth. The next blank on your outline. One day every persecutor and every unbeliever will acknowledge that Christians were right. But more importantly, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The truth will prevail. Secondly, Jesus promised to protect from some trial. He promised to protect from some trial. Now, this very well could be referring to the seven-year Great Tribulation after the church is taken up and raptured. We're going to talk about more, of that, more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, there are four major views on the book of Revelation, and, and those who, who believe that the rapture will happen, that the church will literally be taken up, and, and all hell will break loose. They use Revelation 3.10 as evidence for that belief. And some of, while we're on this subject, some of these views, uh, they seem to make more sense than others. Uh, and pretty much all of them are backed up with some kind of biblical evidence. And, and parts of them can make sense if you're looking at Revelation through that particular lens. Uh, I once heard a pastor say, if you ever hear anyone that tells you they have Revelation completely figured out, you need to run away from them because they don't. They're not that smart, and it is that complicated. Uh, I will say this, I hope that the church is raptured up before the Great Tribulation, but honestly, the promise of Jesus to protect, it still applies if we are or not. Jesus promises to expose the truth, to protect from trial, and in verse 12, he promises to honor them by making them a pillar in the temple of of God. Uh, notice verse 12 uh, he who overcomes I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more uh, so keep in mind that phrase go out no more history tells us that Philadelphia was situated on a geological fault line it was prone to earthquakes and in 17 BC a severe earthquake came and destroyed many cities in this area 
And afterward, many, many uh, citizens refused to move back into the city. They remained out in the countryside for fear of buildings falling during another earthquake. And so to the original readers, think what this message of Jesus would have meant to them. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. So he's saying to the people here, you're, you're scared? You're scared of another earthquake coming in and destroying and killing? I mean, how many pillars of how many temples were destroyed in the earthquake of 17 BC? There's no telling. But take it even a step further. You're scared that faith in Christ will bring persecution, that you're going to be cut off from society. Um, Don't be afraid. For us, it could be many different things. You're you're scared of of the the latest news about the pandemic. You're scared of shortages. You're scared of mandates. You're scared of the economy. You're scared of inflation. The truth still remains. God has not given us a spirit of, of fear, the message to the church of Philadelphia. Jesus brings stability. It's the next blank on your outline. Jesus brings stability. So hold fast your faith in him. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. These pillars are not made by human hands. These pillars are made up of faith in Jesus, so you don't have to be afraid even when your very foundation is shaken because Jesus brings stability and Jesus brings safety. When he shuts, no one can open it. When he opens, no one can shut. The promise continues. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. What's the significance of that? Jesus writing his name on us. Well, you think about it. A lot of times we write our names on something so that everyone else knows it belongs to us. If you bring a, a dish to church with, with some, something for, for a get-together, you write your name on it so everybody knows whose it is so you can find it again. If you go to school, you go to doctor's offices, the, the, the names of the teachers or the doctors are on there to let you know who, who it belongs to. Think about the old movie Toy Story when Andy wrote on, the, on Woody's foot Andy's name so that everybody knew it, he belonged to him. Jesus writing his name on us means that he is claiming us as his. Everyone will know who we belong to. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we go into a time of invitation, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and allow God to, uh, to do work in your heart, whatever needs to be done. What has he said to you and what are you going to do about it? Would you be considered faithful as you just kind of examine your life? Would you be considered faithful? What do you think? And this is the one category that all of us want to be, want to be found in. It's probably the smallest category. Because I know my heart. I know human hearts. Is there anything in your life that you've been unfaithful with, with Jesus for? This goes well beyond a marriage. It goes, I'm just talking about, about sin. Have you allowed sin in your life, that compromise? You've been unfaithful to Him. Is there 
a door that's been closed in your life that you've been trying to open, but God's trying to tell you, listen, it's, it's, it's me that's closed it. Are, are you listening to his voice? Is there an open door in your life? And you're wondering if you should walk through it or not. Is the voice of, of God telling you, listen, it's me that opened it. Step out in faith. Lord, as always, we, we do thank you for, for the truth of your word. And, and Lord, while all of us want to be found in this faithful category, we can't do it without your, your, your help and your strength. And so God, if there is anything in our lives that would be unfaithful to what you've called us to, Lord, help us to repent from that. Lord, help us to hold fast our faith. Lord, even when it seems like it's slipping away, even when it feels like uh, you're not listening, help us to stand on the, the firm foundation that cannot be shaken, the truth of the gospel. Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength to, to live for you this week. Lord, if there are any among us who, who don't know you yet, have never surrendered their lives to you, may today be the day of salvation. Lord, we need you. Be with us the rest of this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.